0: Hello, I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. Today's guest is Patricia Yeboah of Mama Akua's. Patricia has a zest and a go-getterness that is infectious and admirable. When we ended this conversation, I was sad to get off the line. My face hurt from smiling, and my stomach was craving some Jolo and Kiliwila. I'm so excited to share today's episode that we're just going to dive right in. It was such a great layered chat that if you stick around to the end, I would love to
1: share with you some of my thoughts.
0: Enjoy. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for joining me this evening. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you for having us, Billy. Um, Mama Icria is really happy to be here too.
0: Amazing! I'm so excited she's there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's not here, actually. She's at home, my mom. Okay. But are here to. I'm here on her behalf, also, just to say our story.
0: I love it. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, how would you describe your cultural background?
1: So, I'm Ghanaian. I was born in Ghana. My mom is born in Ghana too. We're from the Ashanti tribe. Um, so, uh, in Kumase, which is like another like another city in Ghana. Um, so we I was born there. I left Ghana when I was six. Um, we used to live in the States in Virginia. And I moved here when I was 13. And my mom um, is a Canadian citizen as well. So she had lived here previously. And then she moved to the States for a while with my dad. And then she came back when I moved here with her.
0: So you've kind of lived in a couple of different places. Yeah, we have. Do you remember bl- being a kid in Ghana?
1: Yeah. Um, so, my mom, when she was in Ghana, like she left when I was about uh, four. Um, So she left to come to Canada. And when she left, I was kind of like there with my aunts and uncles. But I remember when my mom was around, um, my mom used to, she used to be a seller of like uh, clothes and and stuff in the market. So I remember when I would go to school and she'll pick me up after and just remember small little memories of her, whether buying me Kiliwile, which is on our menu (laughs) on at home, um, or just being around. From my aunts and uncles um those just like family
0: is mm-hmm. so big. and would you say that's sort of like your first
1: memory of food I think so yeah um Ghanaian food is really part of everything (laughs) that we do. Um, In in Ghana, like you have the street sellers to get snacks on like, you know, if you're in your car or just like, you know, there's certain um, snacks at night because people tend to go for a lot of walks at nighttime with their friends and stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, family members, or just like sitting around talking with their friends. And because like my mom, when she was younger, she learned how to cook on her own, my Anna used to be a trader of like uh textile and fabric. So she used to be on the road a lot and my mom was left with her dad. So she started learning how to cook really early. Um, So it's really cool to see how she's been able to kind of make her own way and learn different ways to make our traditional foods. And Mm so I just remember her always like making certain snacks or just like always trying new recipes, um, which is fun. And now we've I've grown up and I'm the same way where I'm always trying to cook and feed my friends Mm -hmm. friends. And they call me like the mom of the group all the time because I'm always cooking. If they're hungry, they know where to come.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, that's, you know, definitely just hearing your story a little bit. That's obviously your love language. You know, the way that you show love to your friends and family is through food. Yeah.
1: And I think that comes a lot from my mother as well. The way she just shows her love to people as well. My mom, um, she's like a creative person. So she's, when she came to Canada Uh, she used to sew clothes for people um, in my aunt's basement. And when she moved to The states, uh, she would do that and also do hair. And whenever people would come into our house to do their hair, or if they were picking up something, she always had something cooking. So she would either be like, "Let me make you a plate," or "You should try this." And you know, like sharing our culture with people has always been important to us. So it's really cool to see how much she just kind of pickpockets that and then start conversation. Even if like the person is quiet, if she's like, "Oh, do you want some jollof?" that changes the whole conversation and tone. So it's like, <laughs> like oh yeah, I want to try that. I've heard of it. I've never had it. I would love to try it. And then that moves the conversation into, oh wow, this is so good. Like, how do I make it? Or how can I order it? Or, you know, so it's been, those type of conversations growing up, and now it's kind of merged itself into what Mama Equia's is right now.
0: Well, I love it, and I was just reading some of the posts, and I read that post that you had written that your mom used to do women's hair and so clothes, and then you'd come over, that people would come over, and the women would kind of hang out and eat, and it would just be this like wonderful restaurant beauty salon. Just it just sounded so wonderful, and I was like, I want to be there. I want to sit in that room. I want to hang out, <laughs> and it's just you know clothing and or just like the visual beauty of all of that just I you know you painted such a beautiful
1: picture I love it thank you yeah it's it's kind of like it's really cool I think that I'm a like a, a big introvert but when it comes to being a part of the community is so important to us and like I think I've learned that really just for my mom and the people that she's welcomed into her home She's and also just how joyful she is when people just like love the food she's making, or if she's just able to put a smile on someone's face. And I think that's what has carried through throughout this whole experience. Mama Crea wasn't supposed to be a business, it was literally a pop-up that was created to bring the community together during a time where we all just felt so drained and not really sure where to turn. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to just bring smiles onto people's faces and let them know that, you know, we are here for each other and, you know, just raise a little bit of money for the community that we can. And it turned into something that I did not even expect. And, you know, I am so grateful for our community and for my friends for being such a huge part of, of this experience as a whole.
0: I love it. So the first pop-up, was it part
1: of a market? No. So the Um. first, pop-up was at Man of Kent, uh, which is my friend's uh, bar on Ozenton. And I had gone through like a really hard time. I just left the job that I had put a lot of work into. And I was pretty sad one and two with everything that was going on with the current climate I just didn't really know what to do so I was talking to a lot of my friends the same way and I was like yo like what do we do because I'm tired of reading these sad stories I'm tired of people just realizing that I'm black and you know I'm tired of hearing all these things and we all feel so drained so like what do we do to bring us together because we can't hang out mm-hmm. we can't each other like that so So I spoke to my mom at first we started. I was like, my mom sews. I was like, mommy, let's make a bunch of masks and we can donate them. And she was like, okay. And then I thought about it. I was like, I don't know if that's even it. Cause then we donate, but then what's, what other thing can we do? So then I was like, why don't we make food? But we had talked about it briefly and then I just le- like forgot about it. So, I my friend Edie she owns Kachara Jewelry, they're doing a sale right now. If anybody's interested, <laughs> and, um, she she picked me up. I was like, I didn't want to see anybody, I did not want to talk to anybody because I was going through such an emotional time. And mm-hmm. she picked me up and was like, We're going to, I was like, I'm gonna go and get flowers because that makes me happy. She's like, Okay, we're going to get flowers, and she showed up at this flower shop, um, with me and, you know, her and I talked and then she took me home, um, and she made me lunch and she just, we just talked and I hadn't spoken to anybody in a while. And she, it was like the first time after many, many attempts of trying to get me out the house and trying to talk to me, um, that she had seen me face to face after a while. And I was like, yo, I want to, this is what I, I want to do this. And it's kind of been sitting on my heart because I've been going through it. And I feel like a lot of us are going through it and Mm -hmm. I told her about the idea and at that time we didn't even have a name for it I was like "Yo, I just want to do a food Mm pop-up and I want to do it with my mom and I want it to be just Ghanaian food and bring the community together and raise money for the community and I was like I don't know where to do it I don't even know where to start and she's like let's just ask Larry which is her fiance and he owns man of can And Larry came home, we asked him and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Just come up with a date and we can put it together and, you know, you can use the space. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. So I called my mom and we talked and then I called my cousin, Michael, and I spoke to him. Him and I always work on all the projects that I do. So I spoke to him and I was like, yo, I want to put together branding for this, but I want it to be, you know, the aesthetic that I work with, I don't want it to be like, "Hey, let's do another African thing where it's all in your face and very stereotypical." I want to do it to kind of brand it in a way that I like, and not just based off of what you know aesthetic people will expect from an African restaurant. Mm-hmm. Worked on the branding, and I gave them some um, ideas. We talked about it, and the next day we had the branding done. And then we came up with a date. My mom took some time off work and we just started working. And I love it. we brought uh, we brought it to life. And my friend Edie was like, the whole thing was just my friends and I, really my friends, my mom and I just doing it. And Edie and my best friend Janan were at the front um, taking tickets and taking orders. We were in the, um, Michael, myself, my mom, Uh, were taking orders. Myself, Gabe, like all my friends had come to (laughs) help. Cece was putting orders in bags, um, getting them out there. And it was just wild. The line was crazy and it was a Um, two-day pop-up. And the line went around the corner. People were just showing up. I was just overwhelmed. Like I had to step away and cry because I was just like, yo, I did not know people needed this that much. And did not realize how much of an impact this was for everybody and how much the community showed up for us was amazing. So that was the first pop-up. It was beautiful. I still get goosebumps thinking about it.
0: I'm honestly, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Have you ever even worked in a kitchen? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. But you know what? I think that you had probably been thinking about it in your mind for a while. And then in that moment, sitting in the kitchen, you were like, no, I want to do this. And I think when you feel something from your heart and it's like your soul's calling, the people that are around you, that love you, that support you, they're going to come together to help you make it happen. And they did.
1: That's exactly what happened. And, you know, my mom has she has her her um, certificate and she used to work in kitchens and stuff like that. So she knows her way around and she knows she was just like, I just I'll, I'll cook. Don't worry. Like, I'm fine. And yeah. <laughs> it was I would the day of the pop up, um, we went over. I went over to the house and stuff like that to get obviously get all this stuff to Man of Kent. And it was my mom, my my nana, <laughs> my great aunt. All of them were in the house and like helping out. And, you know, my sister was like helping bring the stuff downstairs to, to pack things up. And it's just it's just so great to see everybody just so excited about it. And my mom always talks about wanting to open a restaurant and stuff like that. So it's like this was like a small piece of it. And it was just so great to see her so excited. And when she came to the pop up, everybody started cheering for her and she was just like, mm-hmm. I think she just had to take a moment because she was just like, oh my gosh, no. Like, I didn't expect all of this. Like, people just telling her they love her food, I think just made her smile so much. That's so amazing.
0: And you guys were you know, you thought that you're going to do this for the community. And meanwhile, the community is so supportive of you guys. And it's just this big, you know, loving
1: circle, you know? Yeah. And I I love that. That's like the community. Honestly, I've worked in the community for so long and working with uh, just on the creatives and doing like so much event production stuff and um, talks and panels and organizing stuff. So most of those things are really exciting, but you're working for other organizations, so for when when you put something out there and it's your baby, it's kind of, it's different. It's a different energy and you don't think people will welcome it the same way or support it the same way. There's so many different nerves that come with it, um, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited that we were able to do this.
0: I love it. So then after that, you did another pop-up that was a little bit longer. Yes.
1: So we did one at Stacked. Um, It was supposed to be like a weekend um, pop-up. And then um, that one didn't go as planned as new things come up. Obviously, not everything will go as planned. It was raining and, you know, the turnout... Wasn't that great, but Stacked talked to us and, you know, we came out of that and they gave us, um, was it two weeks? Um, we got a container and set up our, uh, like a little storefront. And that was such an experience. Um People were coming in. We did Uber Eats. People were ordering. We sold out so many times. That's amazing. And like, I would call my mom and I was like, um, like, I remember it was a weekend um, and we brought the food and there was like a lineup outside of the door already. And I was like, oh, please give us some time to set up. So we set up and we got filled up. So we got there for, we started at three and by like 4.30, four, by 4.35, all the food was gone. <gasps> that, the, I just got chills. <laughs> that is amazing. All the food was, was gone. And I had to call my mom and I was like, mommy, All the food is gone. And she was like, what? And I was like, literally everything is gone. Like, I don't know what to do. So we had to turn Uber off because like people were still trying to order. Um, We have no food. Like, I can't like turn it off. Let's figure out what to do. And Mm -hmm. Even the next day when, um, when we had actually like brought a little bit more food, because you don't want to make too much, then it's wasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we brought a bit more food, uh, it still sold out. So after after that, we were kind of like, OK, like we can't really do much. We can just continue to feed um, who's going to come in and who's going to be able to eat the food. And, you know, yeah. that pop up, we started a bit slow, so we weren't expecting all of that, but Toronto Life did a story on us. And I think that really helped. And um, some other people kind of wrote about us and kind of pushed it and people started posting about us and it, it was really successful. And mm-hmm. we're hoping that, you know, that can continue um, because I went to Ghana, we went to Ghana for my mother's um, mom's funeral um my nana passed away so we had to go back to ghana to have her funeral and we were gone for from november um and we came back january um so we're just getting everything set up now looking for a kitchen and you know to start back up again so we hope that that excitement still stays
0: yeah, that was definitely my next question. Is where do you go from here? What's yeah. the next? What's the next thing?
1: Yeah, like we've when my mom was in Ghana, she learned how to make small like. Um, there's a drink called like I think Jamaicans call it sorrel, and then mm-hmm. call it sobolo, um, and it's like an immune system booster. It's really good for you. Um, it's made from fresh ingredients and hibiscus leaves and like ginger and a couple of other things. Um, so we're adding that to the menu, which is going to be really cool. And some small snacks. And because it's getting cold, we're going to get like, you know, obviously not getting, but really cold already. <laughs> we're going the to a polar vortex. <laughs> exactly. It's like an ice outside all the time now. So people are looking for like, you know, soups and stuff. So we're going to bring, introduce some new items on the menu, which we're really excited about to get things kicked off. But I'm really excited. It's a little hard right now, obviously, because of, you know, the current climate and everybody, everything being closed. So we're hoping that we can find a kitchen that um, helps us start um start the process of everything because I think that's like our number one issue right now. Is, this, is it kitchen space? It's a kitchen space, yeah.
0: Well, I'm so excited to see what's that. all the new stuff and that drink sounds delicious. I love anything with hibiscus. It's so good.
1: <laughs>
0: um, do you go back to Ghana often?
1: Yes. Uh, so I go back to Ghana quite a bit because I tend to go back to do different projects. When I went this time, I was really, doing a project called Urban Futures with the UK not for profit called Goldhost. And they work with different artists um, and just give them a platform to share their work. So I was producing an art show and a workshop and panels And so I was doing that while I was also working full time here. So so I go back to Ghana quite a lot to do projects like that. So we we worked with five artists and then we also did a panel um, talking about urban future of art in Ghana and where it's going on a diaspora level as well as on a local level. Um, And then we also had workshops with two high schools. They call them secondary schools as well, where they came and kind of like we gave them different uh, different things to use to create art, but also talk about where they see the future of art going. Um, you know, like when it comes to the creative aspect of things and art, Accra, which is the, you know, the capital of Ghana is welcoming a lot of art and they've been written so much about the art scene going on in Ghana, which is really cool, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of funding going into it. So was great to have those conversations and talk about the urban planning and what things like that look like um so that's what I worked on while I was home this time and I might be going back in May uh again so we'll see
0: wow May will be here before we know it so that's fun (laughs) (laughs) um have you so you moved to Virginia originally you said yes And do you, have you ever gone back since you've moved here?
1: Yes, I go back often. My uncles and my cousins live there and I was there until I was 13. So I still have friends there that I went to school with, like elementary school, middle school with as well. So we do keep in touch on like, you know, the blessing of what social media is. Uh, It's a lovely Mm -hmm. relationship with social media, but it is really cool to be able to still connect with people that, you know, you went to school with, but you don't, you know, you don't live in the same state or in the same country. Um, so we're able to connect. And my cousin who I'm really, really close with, she lives in, in Virginia. Still, she still lives in the area that we grew up in and everything. <laughs> so I tend to go back a lot. I, I went, I went back last year a couple of times, actually. So I, I go back quite a lot. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And I mean, you know, did you, where did you grow up in Toronto? What area?
1: I grew up in Scarborough.
0: Scarborough,
1: (laughs) And I went to uh, Joseph Brandt and then I went to Sir Wilford Laurier Or, high Yeah.
0: Um, I was going to ask because I'm obviously I know, you know, Toronto and Scarborough are a bit more multicultural. Did you find Virginia to be multicultural growing up?
1: Um... (laughs) The area that I, the school that I went to, I mean, you have a lot of black and, um, Spanish speaking people and you have, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say like it's multicultural, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of African-Americans, Africans, um, Hispanics, um, and yeah, like, you know, it's a mixture of that. There's not a lot of white people in that area, the area that I lived, and you know when they did see you, it wasn't the most pleasant interaction. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, that sucks.
1: It did. It did. I mean, the one thing to, about the area that I lived though, but it was like very rooted in, you know, African-American culture and history. And you learned a lot about that. There were community centers and stuff like that, that we grew up around, but there was also violence and a lot of things that were not cool in our area. Like you would, I found a bullet while I was walking wow. to the bus one day and like you just knew the area wasn't it was like gangs and stuff like that so I mean it wasn't the best area and Mm -hmm. we did come to Canada but I think like the difference with racism in the states and racism in Canada is that it's blatant in America it's like in your face nobody's playing about it like nobody's you know it's not Mm -hmm. and Canada is very systematic um Mm -hmm it's very much rooted into, into like the education system and um, certain systematics um, areas. And you see that I've gone through that system. And when I went to Laurier, it was like not the best experience. Um, I have a background in social, um, social work. When I was at Laurier, I, I, was like (laughs) grade nine and 10, I wasn't the best student, but as I finished grade 10, I became like, you know, president of the African Student Alliance and started doing things with the um, student council and stuff like that. But you were still looked down. My grades were really well, like good. I was trying to get into a good university, but, you know, the counselors were not really helpful. I remember the counselor Mm -hmm. put the wrong mark on my (gasps) application work um, and really messed up my application so I didn't get into the school and it, um this the principal the assistant principal that I was under was super racist and she ended up getting fired and the way they just treated black and brown people within the school system is just not great um, so I think the difference, if I like, you know, people say that Toronto's so multicultural and you know and so open, and it's it's great to hear. But the reality of it is, is that like you know, we love saying it, but if you dig deeper, it's it's like a it's form. still there. Yeah, it's a front to actually attack what the greater issues are when they start attacking and breaking down the systematic barriers that face us. And as I've grown up, you see it within the workplace. You see it in so many spaces and you're just like, OK, I don't know how many times I have to say it, but and I don't know how many times I'm going to feel uncomfortable in certain situations because I'm not accepted or not mm-hmm not not feeling as if like I can speak up even when they quote unquote give you a seat at the table you can just say so much if it's not pleasing to the ears of you know the person that gave you the seat then it's not going to work out so just those type of things um and I think like just living in the states and being like you know so it's it's because it's so in your face and you know how to handle certain situations um Mm -hmm. it's a bit different from here um and I've been, I'm totally blunt about these things on my own social media. And um, I have faced many of those things um, in places that I've worked as a black woman. So now when I go into interviews, when I was interviewing for jobs and stuff like that, uh, if people asked, like if they asked me, do you have any questions? One of my main questions was, how are you creating safe spaces for BIPOC people? And how are you creating safer spaces for black women? And Mm -hmm. I think that's such a big question because me as a Black woman working in spaces, my tone can be like this and someone will say that I'm aggressive or I'm rude or I'm this, all the stereotypes that come with it. And you don't really have anybody to defend you. or, you know, speak up for you. And some people don't want to get involved, even if they say that, you know, this is like my work speak, like my work friend or whatever. They don't want to get involved because they don't want to lose their jobs or be looked at a certain way. So you will have to go through all of those, um, like you would have to go through all those scenarios and still have to do the work and deal with everything. And, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to deal Mm -hmm. with. But I think that what has happened is this shift, and I'm hoping that this shift continues, um, that it's not just a fad that people posted on their Instagram and, you know, but, you know, people start to actually talk about these situations. And now that we're working from home, we might not see them, but they might manifest in different ways now too.
0: Well, I hope that um, now that the so much more of the world is aware of everything that was going on, you know, and I'm totally... Totally to someone that said, Oh, you know, Toronto. I mean, I just said it, Toronto is so multicultural, but obviously I never saw it from your point of view and from other Black people's point of view. And now that my eyes are open to it, I'm more likely to also stand up because I didn't know, you know, it's hard sometimes to realize what's going on as a child, as a teenager, when you with your classmates and the comments that are being said. And now that I'm more aware of it, hopefully we all make the change. So everything is more comfortable and more equal. And these passive aggressive little comments, you know, that maybe someone hears and doesn't say anything. Other people are more likely to speak up and say, Hey, you know what? That's like, we're we're not doing that anymore. Okay. Yeah. You know? And then, so also through our generation can raise our children better.
1: Exactly. And I think those conversations are so important those conversations that you have with your children and how those conversations go. I've been in a situation where like some, so many people have been like, I don't teach my kids to see color and I'm just like that's like the wrong way because then you're denying my existence and it's so important to actually have those conversations and actually tell them that there is a difference because they need to see that difference and when you see that difference and you see how people are treated differently as well then you're able to actually be in a situation to speak up and use your privilege to be able to do speak up for those situations and when you blatantly say like you know like I don't see color and I teach my kids that too it's like don't do that because then you're denying my existence my my human existence like I'm not the same as you I'm not I don't carry the same privilege as you so Mm -hmm. I have twin nieces and then and they're three and then I have another niece that's just turned one and you know like I have we have those conversations we talk about that like Zara and Zaya know that they're to black princesses. And when they're watching Disney cartoons, you're not the same as Mulan, you know? So mm-hmm. we have those conversations and we have to have those conversations. And I think like you have to start early um, sure. because that's just the nature of the world. We can't just go blindly into it being like, I don't see color and I don't, I have black friends or this, that, that does not excuse you from anything.
0: For sure. And I think that, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, my parents didn't. You know that was kind of the conversation. We don't talk about race. We don't talk about other people's religion. Everything is celebrated, and they felt as though that they were leading by example in the industry they work in. It it is pretty multicultural, so you know they had friends from of every color. And I think that they did me and my brother a disservice by not speaking about race because we just went to school, and my best friend growing up was black, and I just didn't think. You know, I just assumed that we both had the same childhoods and people treated us the same because we went to the same school and we had we were the same age and we used we used to we jokingly that we used to say we were twins because we had the same winter jacket and it was so naive. But I didn't know any better because my parents in that time were like you know we don't see color everybody is the same but the reality of the situation is we have this generation now of 20 30 40 year olds that were like what are you talking about there's no racism especially in a city like toronto um that we look around and you know it is visually multicultural um especially in certain neighborhoods but when everything started happening, I felt like such a moron. I'm like, why didn't my parents have these conversations with me? We need to start having these conversations. And um, I mean, that's why the podcast sort of started because I was like, how do I talk about races and different cultures with, with my three-year-old? Um, and that's, I was like, well, I love food. So let's talk about food. <laughs> let's approach it with food.
1: And that's like, oh, wait, that's another thing. Like, you know, with everything that's been happening, a lot of people have been called out around, you know, using like food is such a great way to connect with different cultures and kind of like learn about that culture through the different cuisines through the spices and you know doing your research on that end of things is really great but uh, like on the, on the opposite end, too, people have also kind of tried to monopolize off other people's cultures by using that to open different um, businesses and call it different names and stuff like that. And I think what has happened is not so much of the cancel culture. I'm not really a fan of that, but more so just being very blunt about. What is going on and just sharing those things and just calling out the owner and just being like, hey, we can either, you know, work on this and educate you. And I mean, it's not our job to educate you, but you can do the research and fix, you know, fix what has happened. Or, you know, you can get a lot of people commenting on your work and the things that you're doing and it might not go too well for you. But I think it's up to the person that is moving that business or doing that to be able to do their research and make sure that they're being authentic and telling the story properly and not you know, being sidetracked by money or clout or any of that. And I think that storytelling is so important because that's how people relate to you, you know? So if you're For sure. into it with like a clear heart and actually wanting to learn about the person's culture and doing your research and your due diligence to be able to kind of connect on, on those levels, I think that's where you'll see that you don't have to beg anybody to, like, be part of your restaurant or, you know, buy your food. It would just come naturally.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and even beyond um, having a business, I think that as humans, we all need to learn a little bit about everybody in the whole wide world because the world is just getting smaller and smaller, you know, travel hopefully will open back up. And I find it, personally, I find it so ignorant when someone visits a country and they don't take the time to learn some things about that country. And same thing at a workplace. If your work best friend is from a different culture, why not listen to some stories or listen to a podcast about their culture or read a book so that you have a little bit of common ground? And that's why I love food. Because Everywhere in the world people sit down and enjoy a meal and break bread or I love that you said that people go for snacks and long walks together at night. like that to me is oh, sounds so wonderful right now to walk down this street with a friend and chat and have some food. Um, and I think that food really unites us all.
1: It does and I love like when you go to Ghana, I like there'll be a time like around seven or so where all the regular shops that you see in the day close out. And then what you'll see come out is like, um, the Indomie and Indomie is like, you know, um, Mr. Noodles Mm -hmm. they have here. The brand that they have is Indomie in Ghana and they'll make the noodles in a way and they'll add like veggies and like egg and stuff. And that can be like a midnight snack. And they sell that only at night, which is really funny. And Mm -hmm. they also sell like bread and egg, like fried egg with bread, like freshly baked bread on the street. They have like Kiliwile, which is like spiced plantain and I love Kilauea so much. Um, so they sell it with like peanuts. So there's like certain times in the day that you'll find a certain snack and there's certain, you start to like be like, that lady at this corner has the best Kiliwale. That <laughs> So you like you start to figure it out and then there's like kebabs or suya and you find those things and that's what you start to love. But one thing that I do love As well as like when people come into Ghana, they have like that one thing that they have to have right away, Mm -hmm. no matter where you're coming from in the world. My favorite thing is kebab. I love kebab. You can get it here. But when I go to Ghana, the way they make it is the way I like it. So I love like when my friends who are not from Ghana come to Ghana and then you get to explore all these types of foods and that's how they start to connect and start to ask questions, although they might've tasted it here from my mom or something. It's like, yo, I went to Ghana and I tried this and I can't stop. I can't stop eating it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's like, I just love sharing that part with them as well. And I, I think it's the same way. So just bringing those, type of connections back to Toronto and getting people to feel the same excitement and love for it. I think is really amazing.
0: Well, so you said your favorite food and what you crave when you get back. Um, But when you're here and you're celebrating something um, or it's a birthday or a holiday, is there something that you
1: always ask your mom to make special? For me, Um, I'm so picky. (laughs) (laughs) My birthday just passed um, last weekend, and happy be belated! Thank you. Um, like my favorite thing to eat, we we had this on the menu is um, rice balls with peanut butter soup. Oh, that sounds so good! I love rice balls and peanut butter soup, and I like my mom the way my mom makes it. Um, we had it, we have it on the menu as well um, for Mama Cuyas, but it's just so good. And she, can use different type of proteins for the soup. Um, so yeah, that's like my favorite thing. And in Ghana, we usually get it on Sundays. And there's like a spot that you go to get it from. And when you go, there's like a long lineup, like a huge lineup. I that's that's like my all-time favorite.
0: <laughs> so what's in it? Like what what's in the soup? What protein do you prefer?
1: Um, usually, I like chicken um so there is like a harder chicken um it's not the soft chicken drumsticks that you get it's like the harder chicken would be like when you get chicken wings for example um and then there's um it's tomatoes it's onion the base of it um tomato onions garlic ginger and then you have you make the base of it but then you get peanuts Uh, my mom will get non-salted peanuts and she'll grind them or she'll go to there's um a uh, african shop that just sells um groundnuts groundnut and which is peanut butter and there's no salt there's nothing in that it's just flavorless it's just that you can taste the peanut Mm. and she'll put it in water and um it'll become the paste will turn into like will become watery and then that's what she adds into the soup that sounds so good well she makes it i'm sure i've made mistakes on the process there but um she makes it and i just love it and then you make the rice balls and it's like sticky rice um that you pretty much use. Uh, you can use jasmine rice and you use a lot of water to make it. Um, and then when you're done, you it's in the rice cooker. So you kind of take it out and make it into balls, different balls. And then you can just go and grab the ball, grab some soup, and you know, enjoy. That
0: sounds so good.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> really, really good.
0: Okay, so <laughs> we need to get your kitchen stat because I need that now. <laughs> Um, what would you say to someone that is maybe in Toronto and they're like, okay, I need to have um,
1: a dish from Ghana. Like I need to know mm. what the flavors are all about. I would say come to Mama quiaz ask for jollof because
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's like a Ghana staple um, or ask for red, red or ask for wache and you will pretty much be hooked after that.
0: Would you say that there's like a signature spice or a signature flavor to, that to you is very traditional? Um, no, I don't think so.
1: I think like the special thing about Ghanaian food is that we use pretty much like a lot of the same spices for things. Like our bases are like peppers, ginger, little bit of garlic. Um, so we the basis of things is like is there and it's, it's kind of a staple in each meal. I think what makes it flavorful is how it's added in and what you're using for each of them. Most of our meals are vegetarian based and then you can add in protein, which I think it's also an added bonus. Um, like majority of the foods that I'm talking about you don't even need protein. like the red red is like stewed beans with palm oil. And you, you you eat it with fried plantain. The balance of the mm. sweet and the the palm oil and the beans in it, it, it fills you up so much. Um, and it tastes really, really great. And then when you think about like jollof, jollof is like stew cooked in rice. I mean, sorry, rice cooked in stew. Um, and the stew is like made off out of like, it's like oil with tomatoes, onions, ginger, uh, garlic. And then like my mom, what she does is like when she makes the stew and she adds in the rice, she'll put the rice in the oven and give it like the texture that it needs. Um, and it make, it just makes it taste so much better to, in my opinion. But uh, oh my yeah, I think it's just like The way it's made, I think when you make food like that and it's like, if you rush it, you will taste it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like the way it's made is so important and how it's made. A lot of people have commented that like our- our food makes them feel like they're at home and they're like, it's being made by their mom, which is really great because it's like, we want you to think like that. We want you to feel as if like, you know, this is a home cooked meal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that live downtown, I mean, you don't live from, you don't live at home. And especially if you're Ghanaian, you might not live at home or your parents might still be in Ghana or you're here for school, whatever that may be. So I really love that people always say that and feel connected back
0: to Mm -hmm. home. I love that. That's amazing. Okay.
1: So when's the cookbook coming out? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know yet. We got
0: to find a kitchen
1: first. (laughs) We're we're working on a couple of projects right now. So we might come out with kits.
0: Um, I love that. Okay. Well, sign me up. And if you need like a tester, you know, after you write out a recipe, let me know. I'm happy to, you know, give, give it a go.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like we are thinking of coming out with um, some kits. So like, you know, if you want to make jollof, we'll get all the groceries for you and stuff like that and put it in the kit with the recipe. And then, you know, you you go ahead and do it or you can book some time with us and we can teach you how to make it. Um, oh,
0: I love that. Like the, those Zoom kitchens. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, That's perfect. Okay. So I want to hear more about your girlfriend's jewelry line. Would you say it was Qatar? kachara kachara okay so like share her handle so everyone can go get themselves some jewelry
1: um so it's <laughs> kachara um jewelry on instagram um her name is edie she's one of my best friends um and i love her jewelry i wear it all the time i'm wearing some right now actually i'm wearing her earrings but kachara is spelled c-u-c-h ARA and then jewelry um and she's on Instagram and they're having they just had a sale but she has great jewelry and you know she's been able to build this on her own and now she works with our friend Chloe and they do um they do the digital marketing on it and I just love the storytelling that she does um with the jewelry and it's it's not just about the jewelry it's also about community for her too so you'll see that they do um, these pieces on different women in the city um, and they just give them um, a platform to talk about what they're doing what they've done what their favorite pieces might be. I've done it before my friend rue who um, Luanne who does Ruru baked has been on there before as well um so yeah I love I love Kachar. all my jewelry is from her not because she's my friend but because I actually love the pieces. <laughs>
0: And then if you want to follow along um, to find out when the next pop-up is and when all of the good stuff, the kids are coming out, how can they follow you on that journey?
1: Uh, they can definitely follow us on Instagram. Um, our handle is Mama Equiez. All of the updates will be coming up there. Um, we've been quiet for a little bit because we've been out the country, but we're starting to pick up again. If you're interested, please go on, sign the petition for the small businesses that can't get any relief uh, or resources right now if they started the business in 2020. Sign the petition. My, my girls at Make Way Um, created the petition, Abby and Shelby, and it's just helping businesses like us. They started in 2020 as well. And with the pandemic and everything going on, because we started in 2020, we don't get access to the resources that everybody else is going to be having access to.
0: Wow. And that's huge. I mean, I feel like during this whole thing, small businesses that are in the community that they're doing such good work, but they're the ones that are the most um, the most at risk right now and the ones that are receiving the least amount of funding.
1: Exactly. And, you know, like if you've rented space or if you've done, you've, you have like things to pay for, like employees and stuff like that, like you don't get access to these relief funds at all. So it sucks, obviously, especially mm-hmm. because other people are able to apply for it. Um, and, you know, with... So many small businesses closing down um, and just trying to stay afloat, this would be really helpful for sure.
0: And I think maybe a lot of people don't know too, it's really expensive to rent a kitchen. Yes. And to have is. access to a kitchen. And our rules, especially in Ontario, are a lot stricter than anywhere else, really, in North America. And there's so many different regulations that have to be in place. So businesses like yours that need to have that kitchen and need to have you know, just the money and infrastructure to accommodate all that. And you're doing amazing work. You're feeding the people. So you should have access
1: to that. Like hopefully something will happen, but we're just like super excited to kind of get things started and push forward. So hopefully that happens. But in the meantime, you know, sign the petition and just uh, support us. There's a, a bunch of businesses that really need that petition to move forward for sure. Then how can people follow you? me i have my instagram is it's samson's bar i'm on there you can it's s-a-n-s-x-e-s-p-o-i-r you can follow me there um i just post like whatever the most beautiful
0: photos ever
1: (laughs) i post like (laughs) Once in a blue moon or so, but I tend to post a lot about my work and things that I'm doing. And if I'm out, I'll post stuff. Um, I share a lot of things on stories. So, yeah, I also work for House, which is a creative incubator, and it was founded by The Weeknd, Lamar Taylor and Ahmed Ishmael. And we work with creatives in the city, providing them support, um, resources to be able to get started or even if they have started to kind of give them access. So it's two different resources, and it's really great seeing a lot of these projects come to life. And I finished the women's program, the BIPOC women's program um, in November for 75 women, which was really beautiful to see them all go through the program. Amazing.
0: I feel like I was having a conversation with um, a girlfriend who is a person of color early on in the Pandy. And we were saying, you know, we just felt like so much turmoil. And I was like, you know, it's almost like a good thing. At this point, the whole system needs to come down and we need to rebuild it from the ground up. And, you know, we were like, yeah, but, you know, there's been opportunities in the past to, to start to dismantle some of these systems and it just never really happened. And I feel like, So we had so much momentum in the summer and I really hope that people just keep going and we keep pushing because to me, there seems like there's a glimmer of hope. Um, How do you feel about everything that's sort of going on right now?
1: I feel like I feel like right now is the time for everybody that was hyping before about, you know, You know, if you didn't know this fact, or you didn't know about this community, or if you didn't know about these resources, I feel like you know it's kind of died down. But this is the time for you to actually do the work. I want to see you doing the things that you said you were going to do in like in March or whatever. Um, I want to see those things happen, and I do see a lot of people changing their tone. And but don't I, I really do agree with you that you know it things do need to be rebuilt and people need to find different ways. And I think those things are happening. Um, those conversations are happening. People are, you know, looking at themselves and checking themselves a bit more. And I hope those things continue to happen. And I hope those conversations don't die down. And I really want to see, I don't know what post-COVID is going to look like, but I'm really excited to see the aftermath of what happens and how people come out of this. Mm-hmm and how we're able to rebuild and pivot. And I think that's going to be a huge thing for me personally. I've made a lot of changes. Um, I've had to, it's not like you have a choice and I'm hoping that, you know, this new year pushes us a bit further in having deeper conversations and making the changes and, you know, making sure that like, we feel heard from my perspective and creating a space, creating safe spaces for BIPOC people and also creating safer spaces for, you know, different conversations to happen in all paths. And I think that's the conversations will happen, but I also hope that they're followed by actions. And I for think sure. that's going to be important.
0: Well, and I mean, just on such a small scale, I know so. So many parents, especially now, are thinking back to what we learned in school and selective history and the way history was sort of glossed over in certain parts or rewritten in certain parts. And there's no more of that. You know, the history needs to be taught to our children. And only from knowing history, the way that it happened, can we grow and move forward and become better people and more knowledgeable people. Exactly. Exactly, and making a better world for your two niece princesses, <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, we're a family of <laughs> just girls and women, so it's just, um, uh, my sister has. Two twin girls, they just turned three in December. And my other sister has a one-year-old. And then my cousin has like a daughter as well. So they're all around the same age group. <laughs> so I I'm telling that. you, those women
0: are going to change the world. My daughter is one and she is feisty and she already tells us what's
1: what. So <laughs> <laughs> tells people, don't touch my hair. Like, <laughs> you're not allowed to touch my hair. Oh, I'll okay. dress
0: my daughter and she'll... Like shake her head venomously no, and she'll point to what she wants. And if it doesn't happen, like this girl's throw is amazing. (laughs) I want to get her into softball.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like they are—they're very. I feel like their energies are different already. So I'm just like super excited to see how they grow up to be. But I think it's going to be definitely different because of the resources that they have and. Mm -hmm. I'm just really excited to see how they blossom for sure. Totally.
0: I mean, I think that generation is going to gonna to change the world. Definitely. And we have to lay the ground foundation for them. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna wrap it up with just some light hearted little fun if you're game. Yes. Okay. So uh, a couple rapid fire questions. Water or land?
1: Ooh, land.
0: Apple or pineapple? Pineapple. Favorite drink? Uh, sparkling
1: water. (laughs) Mm.
0: Okay, so I want you to imagine that you're in a cafe anywhere in the world and you hear the clicking of glasses being cleared, people chatting, maybe there's some music going on in the background. What city are you in? Zanzibar. Where are you? Are you inside or outside?
1: I'm outside.
0: And what are you drinking?
1: Mm, some cocktail.
0: And are you eating something?
1: Like a virgin cocktail. I'm having... I would say I'm at a beach. So I'm having some type of fish. I don't mm. know. Yeah. Some fried fish. I like fried fish with some type of pepper.
0: Mm, delicious. And who are you with?
1: I'm with myself. I travel alone a lot. So I like to go places by myself.
0: I think that's the best way to experience a city. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. And if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be?
1: Oh, <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> it always stumps people. I'm going to say Kill-a-Willi. and <laughs> Kilauele <Kill-a-Willi laughs> is like the Ghanaian snack that I keep talking about. Yes. Um, it's like spicy on the outside and you think it's all sweet because um, it's plantain. Mm-hmm. Um but it's actually like, you know, when you bite into it, it gives you a little kick. <laughs> I and mean, that's, that's me. Like, I'm really like, I'm, I am I'm I'm <laughs> I have a mouth on me, but, you know, I'm so sweet.
0: <laughs> sweet at the core, but you have a little bit of bite. I love it. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, I had so much fun today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for
1: having us. This was really fun. Yeah,
0: I enjoyed it. And I can't wait for your cookbook. I can't wait for the kids. I'm... <laughs> You know, I'm all in. I'm sad that I missed the pop-up in the summer. So I'll definitely have to try the food the second, the second you guys get back in the kitchen.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, we're coming soon. Look out for it probably the second week of February we should be out with the menu for sure that's
0: like so soon that's this month has been never ending but I feel like the second week of February is very soon so I'm excited it is
1: very very soon (laughs) day's the first so oh my god crazy yeah thank you so much for creating such a safe space for us to have this conversation I really appreciate it I I appreciate
0: it so much without you and without the other guests you know the show um, the show wouldn't exist so I'm so appreciative for everyone coming on and sharing their story. Thank you. Thank you. was a goodie, right? I want to say thank you for joining me on this podcast journey. If I'm being honest, this journey started before I was even aware of what it would be. As a young child, I used to set up my parents' video recorder and do a talk show with my stuffed animals. Later, I started filming cooking shows. I think there's an episode of me making chicken noodle soup from when I was about 11 on VHS somewhere. I grew up watching Oprah and Martha Stewart and loved the idea of connecting with an audience, asking guests the questions we all wanted answers to. And later on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I wanted to be just like Hillary with my own little segment on the news. Fast forward to high school and I was voted most likely to be the next host of TLC's What Not to Wear. (laughs) A nod to my love of fashion and genuinely wanting to help people. And maybe a bit of a nod to my penchant for throwing a tad of shade when it came to some clothing choices. About three years ago, I had the idea to start a podcast. I hadn't fully realized what the concept would be yet. And about a year ago, I decided it would be about food. I would share my love for food by inviting guests over to my house and record us in the kitchen talking about how to prepare the food of their culture and our conversation at the table. I would share my knowledge and love of all cultures with my children and audience through food, the way my mother taught me about cultures through fabric and clothing. Shortly after, I conceptualized the podcast, the world starter at home staycations, if you will. And I thought, hmm, how do I do this? But the muse was in my ear. Start now, she whispered. Now is the time. Start. Fast forward a few months and we witnessed the murders of George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor and the rise of Black Lives Matter movement. I think a lot of white people who thought they hadn't witnessed racism in their lifetime rethought a lot of interactions. I did. I could have spoken up more. I could have used the privilege I was born with more. At times, I didn't see it that way. I didn't understand that even if we were all at the same table, we didn't have the same chair. Or if we were all at the starting line, they weren't all in the same spot. I always thought of privilege as being born with a silver spoon in one's mouth, yachts and private schools and such. Now I know how off I was. Cut to this podcast. This is episode 13, and with each episode, I learn, I enjoy, my mouth waters listening to the guests talk about food, my heart warms hearing about their childhoods, and sometimes things I've thought of as truths get challenged. I try and push myself to grow when I'm challenged. I love today's conversation for a couple reasons. One, Patricia is lovely. She is a great conversationalist, which is a lost art in my humble opinion. Two, she loves food. Food is a connector for her. It connects her and her mother, her to her home country, her heritage, her culture. It connects her to her community and the way her family and friends rallied to make her dream a reality is so wonderful. Third and most importantly to me, this is the very reason I started this podcast. I grew up with a very skewed version of the world. I grew up as a white girl who went to an inner city school. I was a minority in my grade and assumed everywhere was as multicultural as was inside those walls. We were taught to celebrate all of our colors, all of our cultures, all. of of our wonderful differences from our food, celebrations, skin color, hair color, clothing, and languages. I grew up in a bubble of naivete and lies. This isn't about me, though, and one day maybe we'll dive a bit more into my history, but for now I'll say I've always felt a bit off by the phrase, I don't see color, because to not see color would seem like a horrible way to live. To not see the beautiful tapestry of everyday life would be a shame. Patricia explains why this phrase needs to stop being said, and I think the way she explains it is so important. I can't wait to see Patricia Mamakua's next move. I know there's a community cheering them on and I'm rooting right there alongside. If you live in Toronto area, be sure to follow along their journey. Have a great day and I hope you've eaten well.